Hello, Mason. We're both in our offices, which is kind of weird. Yeah, it's weird to be home. We had a great road trip there. It was 10 days of fun and excitement. Now we're back to our real lives. So as people know, you're in Portland, I'm in Seattle, and typically that's normally the case. But we've been together that whole time. It's been fantastic, and I think we need to break this down. We need to talk about it. Yeah, we got a lot to talk about. We saw some amazing things, made some great photos, had some pretty good food and some decent coffee. here. (laughs) We had some pretty good coffee and some pretty terrible, terrible coffee, such as the way when you're out on the road. That's right. It did get complicated. We had a lot of factors at play. I think it's going to be a fun episode reliving our road trip adventure. Excellent. Let's photocombobulate this. Making great photos can get complicated. Long hours on the road, weather conditions, and overpriced barbecue doesn't make it easier. We've just wrapped up an epic photo road trip, and we're here to talk about it. Even after spending so much time together, a big part of me wants to go back out there. This is Photo Combobulate, and I'm Jeff Carlson. And I'm Mason Marsh. To start with, why don't we break down exactly what we've been doing. We've sort of hinted at it, and we've been hinting at it in previous episodes about what we were going to do. So let's just sort of give an overview of A, why we're talking about a road trip, and B, why we're not talking about it during the road trip. (laughs) (laughs) Well, we intended to talk about it during the road trip. We actually set aside some time towards the end of the trip to sit down and record a live, in-person, face-to-face podcast. Outdoors. Yeah, with both of us together, we, we found a great spot next to a lake uh, up in the mountains <laughs> of the Sierra Nevada in California. And uh, the fall color was beautiful. It really was an amazing spot. We sat down, we set up our cameras, had a microphone, even had stuff to drink, and we talked for an hour. That was a very good talk. It's a great talk. And no one will hear it. <laughs> because Absolutely, because we only recorded eight seconds of the audio, and which my, was my fault. <laughs> <laughs> well, my camera, um, I had forgotten to uh, erase my card beforehand, so it stopped at about 30 minutes of recording. So we have 30 minutes of this discussion. However, it was just the audio from the camera, and it was a little bit windy, so you and I would be talking, talking a little bit dimly, and then suddenly, you know, the big wind rush would come up and go and tear, <clears throat> tear apart. Yeah. So here we are. Um, so this trip originally started out as a workshop that we were both going to lead. And for various reasons, mostly COVID fears and fears of what the wildfire smoke was going to be like where we were, some members decided not to go. And so ultimately we had to scrap the workshop, but we still had it on our calendars. And I know personally, I've been just swamped with work and the ability to get away, have the scheduled time to just go and shoot photos and hang out with you. There was no way I was going to give that up. So, so we went I drove down to Portland and we got in your Jeep and we headed down to California for how many miles did we drive total? Altogether, we did just over 2,600 miles. So it was, it was pretty amazing over 10 days. Uh, and so, yeah, I, 
I, I want to add to what you just said. I really need to get out of the house. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I haven't been working as hard as you have, but we have been cooped up for a very long time with the pandemic. My creativity really suffers when I sit at home too much. And I think a lot of people are probably like that. You're, you're sort of within your normal surroundings. Uh, things aren't especially inspirational for photography after a yeah. while. And so you've kind of shot it all to death. And so getting out on the road and spending some time focused on photography was something I really, really needed creatively. And I would say mentally. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I needed that. I needed that <laughs> Definitely. Trip. Well, and, you know, we, we talk about finding photo opportunities where you are, because obviously we're at a state in the pandemic. It's now October 2021, where we're not locked in our homes anymore. We're still being cautious and wearing masks everywhere and so there are opportunities to go out, but there's also a difference between I'm going to go out in my backyard or I'm going to go somewhere in Seattle. There's a difference between that and actually going on a road trip, going to see something brand new. These are areas that I've never been in before. Uh, I think some of them were new to you. Some of them you'd visited, what, 20 years ago or so. Yeah. And so – just that that perspective added on made it much more of a of a creative inspiring my brain felt like it was on fire all the time maybe not at five o'clock in the morning but <laughs> <get it. laughs> I was gonna I was gonna question that yeah, statement there yeah. I'm glad you added yeah. that we should point out that you are a morning person very much a morning person absolutely I am very much a late nighter. And in fact, I was up the night before we left. I was up until three o'clock doing some work that I had to finish before we got on the road. And yet the weirdest thing has happened. I woke up today before my alarm at like six o'clock in the morning. <laughs> I have ruined You've you. You've ruined me. What have you done to me? And I, I, I get tired at like 10 o'clock at night. My body is just very, very confused. It's probably a good thing, but it's something. Yeah. Yeah, we've very effectively reset your circadian rhythms, right? It was a very interesting schedule. Anytime you do a photo road trip, and we talked about this in a previous episode, we talked about trip planning. You have to sort of build a schedule that puts you in the right places at the best time of day for making photographs, which is oftentimes the worst time of day for getting a good night's sleep. <laughs> and, this is so true. And so we both kind of... You know, I, I'm my sleep's been all out of whack since I got home, and I'm I'm a morning person. We did get up really early a lot of days, but we also stayed up late quite a bit, and late for me anyway, not for you. It was late. like your afternoons, <laughs> but for me it was late at night. So yeah. we had this kind of divided sleep schedule, and I had really anticipated that we would have more time to take naps and rest, but it turns out our days were pretty darn full the whole trip. And we didn't have yeah. much time to sit or sit around and sort of, you know, reflect on life. It was, it was, <laughs> you know, shoot, move, shoot. I, I really enjoyed that. I enjoyed the pace of it. But when I got home, I realized, man, I just, I needed to sleep. Like I slept. I had a big three hour nap one day after we got back. Oh yeah. Cause I had a sleep deficit I needed to make up for. Yeah. Even though I actually got more sleep on this trip than I have gotten in the weeks preceding just because of, of work and deadlines, you know, because it would get dark and we would be camping. And so nine 30 or so 10 o'clock, like I'd be asleep in my sleeping bag and then we'd get up at five, five thirty or six. And 
that's a good night's sleep. Mm -hmm. But yeah, the day after we got back, I was, I was completely wiped out. I was exhausted and didn't actually realize that that was the case, that I had just built up this exhaustion from the trip, because this is another thing that I found going on trips like this. It sounds like a vacation and it kind of was because, you know, you were not doing your daily things. I was not doing my daily things. But we were always either on the go or shooting photos or looking for photo opportunities, driving to find locations. And I think that's why I said, you know, my brain was always sort of alive and electric because we were always focused on what's going to be the next thing. Where should we go? What does the, the smoke look like in this area? Do we need to go somewhere else? All these different considerations. So I'm, I'm sort of making a lot of big overarching statements here. So why don't we break down what we did in our trip and some of the things we learned? Otherwise, people will just tune out and be like, yes, okay, they're tired. Yeah. We get it. <laughs> so two old guys went camping and they got tired. It's big news, big news. Yeah, it, we covered a lot of territory and we, we covered a lot of the places in the Western United States that I find uh, really, really compelling. Uh, certainly not all of the ones on the list I'd like to get to eventually, but boy, a lot of big hotspots. So we started our trip in Oregon and we came down from Portland to Crater Lake. And uh, the day we got to Crater Lake was the first day <laughs> of this fall season where the lake got snow. And it's not unusual for the rim of Crater Lake because uh, it's pretty high altitude there. It's not unusual for it to get snow in October, but we hadn't had any yet. And so we got up there the day it snowed and everything was just plastered in ice and snow. It was beautiful in a very um, kind of surreal way to come up to the rim and then suddenly be in the snow. And it was sort of foggy and moody. And our sunset up there was I thought it was enchanting, but it wasn't necessarily the <laughs> typical crater like eye popping sunset. Yeah, I would say the, the sunset was non-existent other than technically the sun did set somewhere beyond the mist and the clouds. Uh, but it did have that very, very quiet, magical feeling about it because, uh, you know, for a long time, we were the only ones up there. Mm -hmm. Occasionally, some people would stop by, but it felt just very isolated. Yeah. And that was kind of nice. Yeah. And the snow and, and everything really dampened. There wasn't any wind to speak of. And the snow had kind of dampened the sound. At one point, I remember I yelled over to you, Jeff, do you hear that? And you're like, what? And I said, that, there's nothing. <laughs> it's absolutely <laughs> silent. And it's very unusual to be at the rim of Crater Lake and not have wind. And so I found it to be really, really uh, special. And what a great way to start the trip. And so we shot that evening. It was cold, right? And we came down from cold. the rim and uh, found a hotel room. And then the next morning, we went right back up. We got up really early and we came back up to the rim. It was about an hour's drive to get back up there. So we drove back up to the rim and the skies had cleared off. The snow is still there, but we were in for a pretty awesome sunrise. It was pretty cool. Yeah. And, and by the way, we'll have some photos in the show notes for the this episode. So make sure you go check those out. It was actually the sunrise that I was hoping for in terms of lots of color, the sky just erupting at one point. Because the snow at our feet was frozen, I mean, like, like more than just sort of snow snow, you had like little bits of sparkly, sparkly ice crystal bits. And 
the the color that came through the snow was pink and purple mm -hmm. and if it wasn't 26 degrees i probably would have had even more fun <laughs> and despite that i did have a lot of fun i had six layers and the wind was at our backs fortunately so that made things fairly uh fairly tolerable it was a great morning i think sort of a a, a dramatic complete shift to what we've been doing, which is mostly sitting in our houses just to be out there and get started. Yeah, it was really great. And there were some other people nearby, but like you said about the evening before, it was very quiet there. There was hardly anybody. And, and in a national park, and Crater Lake doesn't get the visitors that like Grand Canyon and Yosemite gets, but they still pretty busy uh, in the summertime. And to be up there at this viewpoint and have it to ourselves and be in this peaceful moment... It was very much for me, kind of a flow state sort of sunrise. You know, I was able to focus on my yeah. work. Um, I wasn't distracted by other photographers getting in the way or anything like that. It was really, really beautiful. Except for me. <laughs> and I think we had a, we had a really great start with that. And then we drove down and we went from 26 degrees to, you know, like 80 degrees. <laughs> yeah. We came down into the Siskiyous and down into Medford. And Southern Oregon, it was quite warm. And we made our way down into Northern California. And we spent the night at your mom's house on her farm uh, in Northern California, which was just what a nice, what a nice treat that was. <laughs> it was great. And I should also point out, so we did a mixture of staying in hotels and camping, mostly to offset the costs. And so that first night we were going to camp because of timing, we weren't able to set up our camp and then go to the sunset. And I'm really glad for that because again, it was 26 degrees when we were out there. And so then to turn around and be at my mom's farm where it maybe got down to 60 or something yeah, like yeah, that. It was quite pleasant. It was a nice change. It was gorgeous. So yeah, we got to spend some time with your mom. And then I made one of my favorite photos of the trip of the two of you in her. She has a almond grove of these gorgeous almond trees. And I made a portrait of the two of you there and put it in the show notes. It's one of my favorites of the whole trip. It was just yeah. this <laughs> quick portrait of the two of you. What a wonderful stop that was. It was great. So from there, we, we blasted through the beautiful uh, California town of Stockton. <laughs> Made our way up to <laughs> Yosemite National Park, which, you know, I had been to Yosemite, Jeff. Oh, gosh, it was like 1998 when I went to Yosemite last. And it was summertime when I went and it was packed full of people. It was hot and it was crowded and it was it was not. I remember it being very beautiful, but I don't remember it being fun. We rolled in and they were still under some COVID restrictions. And so they were limiting the number of people in there, but we had campsite reservations in the valley. And so we could get into the park and we came in and there wasn't any crowds. I mean, there were people here and there, but it was never crowded. Got into the valley. It was gorgeous. But California is deep in drought. I mean, very severe drought. And you could tell the valley was just dried out. It looked like it'd been kind of wrung out. And we stopped at Tunnel View, which is kind of this classic vantage point looking into the uh, Yosemite Valley. And normally in that composition, uh, Bridalville Falls kind of comes in on the right and it was just wet rock. There was no waterfall to see. It was yeah. dried up. And it typically in the fall, those waterfalls do diminish, but they don't normally go away. 
And so it was very strange to kind of come into the park and see evidence of recent wildfires and evidence of drought stress on the trees and stuff. It's sort of sobering. Very much so. Um, Also, I want to point out that getting those reservations, those camping reservations in Yosemite, uh, I think you had to get those in what, February? Uh, Five months in advance. Yeah. Five months in advance. So, you know. A lot of places we went and were able to just find a camping spot, like no big deal. But something for Yosemite, like you have to do that in advance. And I think even if even if things had been terrible, we would have still camped there because (laughs) you had these reservations. Somebody we met up with later asked us if we had been camping there. We said yes. And she was amazed that we actually got a spot. So it's not even a matter of getting it early. Like sometimes you can be early and not even get it. Plan, plan, plan for for these kinds of things. Yeah. And Yosemite wasn't in our plans for our workshop. It was part of our plan to stop there on the way down just for you and I to Mm -hmm. enjoy. Because Yosemite is so busy and is so difficult to deal with (laughs) as far as traveling, I didn't include it in our workshop plans. But yeah, getting a campsite It was the second time I had tried to get a campsite in Yosemite Valley in the last few years. And the first time I'd ever been successful. Those sites go in Mm -hmm. like 30 seconds. So if you don't get lucky right away when they open up, um, you just don't get them. And so we camped in the valley, which is really cool because we were just looking up at these cliffs, which is if you haven't been in Yosemite Valley, it's, it's really hard to describe the scale of this place. You're looking up at a cliff that's 3000 feet high. And it just boggles the mind. <laughs> it just boggles the mind. It's crazy. In yeah. There. Yeah. But we camped out that first night and the next morning we got up super early because I wanted to make the drive up to Glacier Point, which is this classic um, viewpoint in the park. And if you ever go to Yosemite and you don't go to Glacier Point, make it a huge mistake because it is, it is epic. <laughs> epic is almost mm-hmm. under saying it. So we drove up there to catch the sunrise and we actually got up there quick enough to get some star photos. Uh, The stars were still out. It was very dark. Well, we got up there quick enough because that was our earliest morning. We woke up at four o'clock in the morning, knowing that it would take probably 45 minutes to an hour just to get from our campsite. You could look up and see where the point is, but it still took an hour to make our way up there mm. in the dark. Yeah, it's, it's pretty crazy. And then once we were up there, we could see down to our campsite. We could actually see our tents from yeah. this spot, which was strange to drive so far to be so close, but <laughs> much, much higher. So we, we got up there. We had this incredible view of Half Dome and the valley and the stars. And there's a little sliver of a crescent moon. Uh, it was really, really special. And I really enjoyed the pre-dawn photography there. And again, we had the place to ourselves to begin with. You know, there was just no one there. Mm -hmm. And then a few people showed up, but it never got crowded. It was never elbow to elbow. That's something that struck me for this entire trip. And I think, I know this isn't possible for everybody to do because of work schedules and such. But if you're able to go somewhere, do a trip like this off season, it makes a huge difference because- Except for, I would say, maybe like that next day in Yosemite, we really didn't run into crowds anywhere. You never were fighting for space with other photographers. You weren't, you know, just sort of shoulder to shoulder with people. And especially now with COVID fears and I would say COVID anxieties, mm-hmm. um, you know, we're we're outside. So that mitigates a lot. But there just wasn't that that scrum yeah. 
that you sometimes get when you're at a place like this or on vacation that can really distract you from making good photos. And so we were able to just, you know, focus on making photos and checking out the landscape and not have a whole bunch of distractions that I think if we had done this in July would be a com completely different situation. Absolutely. And, and typically I think in places like Yosemite, which get very high volumes, record numbers of people now, the pandemic has yeah. created a, a busier um, environment for these parks because people aren't traveling overseas. People aren't doing cruises and things like that. So they're doing more trips at home and they're doing more stuff in the national parks. And so all of the parks have been seeing record numbers this last summer. And by going just a few weeks after school got back in, we were able to sort of avoid a lot of that. And I really want to emphasize that we got lucky with the campsite, but it was also a matter of just really careful planning and knowing that, mm -hmm. you know, if you want to go to a place like Glacier Point, you go super early and you, you do sacrifice some sleep so you can get a parking spot. And we had no problem finding parking, but there are times where people go up there to shoot the sunrise and they get up there before the sunrise in the summertime and there's nowhere to park and they have to drive back down. Can you imagine you know, making mm -hmm. that long drive and then being skunked? Right, right. Well, and also, even though there are quite a few areas where you can take pictures up there, uh, some of those sort of prime spots are, are really sort of packed right. in. I mean, where, where I was standing, you could probably fit two or three other people for some of my shots. And so getting there early, we had the pick of a lot of different, you know, compositions. We could look in a few different directions. I've been in places where you get there, you set your spot and you basically don't move because if you do, somebody's going to take it or some other shot, mm -hmm. you know, areas are, are taken and you're like, okay, I got my three shots from that one angle and that's all I can do. And we were able to just bound all over the place trying to look for different compositions. Yeah. And I think this is a good time to bring up too, that we set aside tons of time at each location, you know, it's really part of our plan to milk yes. these spots. You know, it's a lot of effort to get there, you know, getting up early and all that. You don't want to run in and get a shot and run out. But we saw that the morning that we were at Crater Lake and we saw it again in Yosemite, mm. people peak bagging, what I call it peak bagging, where you, <laughs> it comes from mountaineering, people that run up to the summit of a mountain and say, I got, I got to the summit and then run back down. We approached it as, you know, a slow process kind of going back to this flow state thing. You want to sit there and concentrate and think about creativity and all of the great things that you can do with your camera. And we had people that was flying in, <laughs> popping off a few shots and <laughs> think, think, think the tripod gets collapsed and they run back up the trail. And, you know, yeah. I, I'm always amazed because as the sunrise happened at, up at Glacier Point, it was different every second. And it evolved from stars and a night astro shoot to, you know, broad daylight. <laughs> You know, like glaring sunshine mm -hmm. within a short period And that of time. was even before the sun crested the mountain, too. Yeah. I mean, it, it, it actually took a long time from, quote unquote, sunrise until the sun sort of broke through and, you know, created those like dramatic shafts of light. I mean, I was just sort of waiting and waiting and waiting. And so if somebody was up there like, OK, sunrise, it's happened, blah, blah. And then they left, then they just completely yeah. missed out. And when the sunrise, that sweet light that happened right before the sun popped up. You know, we mm -hmm. had these shafts of light and the good color 
that was, it did build slowly, but the actual best window for photos was very brief. And yeah. we were there for it. We were ready. We were warmed up. We'd already made a hundred photos or more, <laughs> you know? Um, yeah, it was, it was great. So after, after that, we went and made coffee at another viewpoint, which is also very spectacular and had some breakfast. And then we moved our way down to the Valley and our way down, we encountered wildfire smoke. And this became a big factor for us for several days. And this was the first we had kind of encountered the heavy smoke from the wildfires that were burning down in Sequoia National Park and Kings Canyon, just to the south of Yosemite. And so as we came down from Glacier Point, we came into this smoke and it was like, Ugh. and we got down to the valley and the smoke had kind of holding off from coming into the valley. But later in the day, it came in quite heavily. And after spending the day in the valley, we went to El Capitan in the meadow below El Cap to make photos of, of the amazing scene. And it was the smoke actually made for a really interesting sunset. Yeah, it, it definitely added color. The advantage is you get this this sort of uh, orangish, sometimes purplish coloring that the smoke is providing. On the other hand, any chance of doing like a wide vista is just gone because half the things that you could see in the morning were completely obscured in the afternoon. Yeah. Uh, also, you're breathing smoke a yeah. lot, so that wasn't that wasn't much fun. But still, we were able to go out and find something and get some really good shots. The the power of being flexible because I, I don't think we had anything specifically planned for that night for the sunset, or if it was, we're like we realized that that wasn't going to happen. So let's just drive a bit and see what we can find. Yeah, one of the great things about Yosemite is there's always something. And one of the shots that yeah. I had hoped for there, which didn't happen, was sort of the reflection, the classic valley reflections, right? So you have these towering cliffs and oftentimes waterfalls, but then you have the Merced River that flows through the valley and it normally creates these very nice reflective pools, but it was very dry. <laughs> it was very low. Yeah. And instead of these big kind of pools of water to work with, we had just kind of sandy, dirty uh, just didn't look good. Little tiny trickles. Yeah. yeah. And so we ended up out in this meadow and I, I got to say, Jeff, I, in looking at these photos now being home and having a chance to sort of let these breathe for a bit and then come back and, and look at them. The shots we made of El Cap that night really work well as a black and white. And I'm not somebody who goes to black and white a lot. It's not something that I, mm -hmm. I think about when I'm shooting the photos. I oftentimes will say, well, maybe it'll be a good black and white, but I don't, I don't shoot them with the intention of making them black and white. But I found that with these shots of El Capitan and the way the light was hitting and the fact that the sky was sort of this murky, smoky sky, uh, it actually translates fairly well in black and white. And so I, I have Something had fun that with I that. Need to yeah, try. Give that a try. Nice. So from the, from that evening, we got up early again the next morning, and so we camped in Yosemite for two nights. The next morning, we got up and we drove. We packed up camp and we drove up over Tioga Pass, up to Tuolumne Meadows. So we went up the the northern side of Yosemite, uh, and we got up into the high country, and it was smoky up there. But we got some interesting shots at sunrise because of the smoke. As the sun broke over this ridge line, it was just this orange ball. <laughs> it was this orange disc. Yeah. Normally you can't shoot straight into the sun, but because of the smoke, it was pretty dramatic. And it was coming up behind these pine trees and these rocks on the top of the ridge and, and got some pretty interesting shots of, of the sunrise. And I wasn't expecting that. I was sort of thinking that the sunrise was a wash because of the smoke, but it worked out. 
Mm-hmm. So from there, we actually came down uh, through Tuolumne Meadows to uh, Dixon Creek, which is where we stopped. And this creek is kind of meandering through this grassy meadow, and there's these granite kind of peaks all around. It's very, very spectacular. And we got out and we started walking around in this creek. It was pretty cold. <laughs> it was pretty early. Um, <laughs> the sun was shrouded in smoke, and it sort of cast this glow over everything. And the grass and stuff around the creek was all dried up. And so it was sort of a reddish gold color. And it made for some really surreal, interesting, non-traditional Yosemite type photos. And you really had fun. You, you kind of went off and got <laughs> lost in a creative state. What happened there? Uh, well, I, I got lost in a creative state. I also got slightly <laughs> lost in a geographic state, <laughs> but that, that happens sometimes. We, the, the, the place that we pulled over to park, uh, and w- what was great about this also is that as we were driving, if we saw something, there were pullouts that we could just you know, pull over and, and shoot and, and go explore. And so I actually walked back toward a, an earlier pullout where, where I saw more of the creek and it was the type of thing where, and, and again, we're going to you know go back to the, this idea of flow state, but it, it, it was the idea that I could just, I could just find compositions in a, in a really open way. So, Going up to Glacier Point and uh, being at the base of El Capitan, you sort of know what the subject is going to be. It's going to be this vista. It's going to be this mountain. And in this case, there were all sorts of possibilities. There was a little creek. There was sun reflected in the creek. There were grasses. There were uh, little ice crystals on, on the grass in the path. And so it really gave me a chance to just wander and look and use my my photographer eye to to look for compositions and look for color and things where I really felt like I was exploring the space looking for photos rather than okay how am I going to make this image different from all the ones that I've seen on Instagram because it, it's this famous spot and yeah so I I, I had a great time I'm still going through my photos and, you know, we'll be going through our photos for a while. And so I don't know if I have anything yet that really has popped for me there, but this was also a great example of just the experience of doing it. I may not come out with with many very good photos. I, I have a few that I like, but I'm going to remember that morning because it just... I felt like I was more in tune with my surroundings and and making photos. And that was extremely satisfying. Yeah. You know, and I got to hand it to you, Jeff. I, one thing I learned about you on this trip and we know each other really well, so there's not lots to learn. (laughs) Uh One thing I learned about you on this trip (laughs) is that you have a photographic curiosity that I don't think I have. I don't know if I ever had it or if I did, I lost it maybe. Hmm. But, you know, I got down to the the creek and I was sort of like, yeah, the light's playing off the creek a little bit. And I sort of made some shots that anybody would make there. You know, they weren't especially inspired. And Mm -hmm. I I just, I wasn't feeling it. I wasn't feeling driven to walk any further. I mean, I kind of wandered around for a while. I watched some crows pick apart a dead mouse, you know, things, you know, (laughs) things that you do. We, you know, when you got back, you were lit up. You had this look of on your face like that was really great. 
And I was sort of like, hmm, you know, I could use breakfast. Um, <laughs> yeah. And I, I saw this again uh, later in the trip where you did this a couple of times. And I'm like, man, I need to get that curiosity. And I need to figure out how to foster that drive to go and find a photo where there isn't an obvious photo. And you're exactly right. So many of the places we went to up to this point in the trip, it was like it was curated. They built a viewpoint because that's the shot. <laughs> you know, you, yeah. you put your tripod here, you aim in the right direction, you're <laughs> going to have a spectacular composition. And in the case of this creek, it was just a mountain creek with some boulders and some cool trees and some grass and some granite mountains and some smoky skies. I mean, come on. And I was just, I wasn't, for some reason, I wasn't feeling it. And I kicked myself later because I'm like, man, I had, you know, a half hour uh, where I could have been out making more images that could have been just really fun and experimental. Mm-hmm. Instead, I, I sat and looked at some maps and read a couple guidebooks. <laughs> <laughs> well, also, a, another factor of this trip is uh, our, our cell service was very spotty. And so in this case, uh, we had no cell service at all. So it's not like you could have texted me and said, hey, uh, you know, I'm thinking about breakfast. So you pretty much just had to wait for me to wander back. But Well, and I, honestly, I wouldn't have texted you because even if I could have, because I knew you were out. Either you were dead. <laughs> well, you're making good photos and there was nothing I was going to do to stop either of those. So <laughs> I was pretty sure you weren't dead. Yeah. I figured oh, Jeff's really off on a, you know, he found, yeah. he found something really great. And I'm just, you know, that was what was great about our schedule is we didn't have to be anywhere. Mm-hmm. And when you do a photo trip, we talked about this in the photo trip or in the trip planning episode. If it's about photography, it's about photography. It's not about what your kids want to do or get into the water park sort of thing. It's about stopping and making photographs when you feel like making photographs. And I'm so glad you had that time to, to do that. Well, and I want to turn this back a little bit on you too, because I think, so what if you had come to the same realization that, that you just weren't feeling it, um, but you decided, all right, I need to press on. I need to make photos. Like I, there, there's a drive. Like I need to find something here because I made my way all the way out here. Would you have been successful? I mean, I think part of this is also understanding, you know, if if a spot's just not doing it for you and and you've made an effort, it's not like, you, you know, you roll up, you're like, eh, I don't like this and you, and you keep going. But mm-hmm. if you've if you've made an effort, if if it's just not working I also don't want to encourage people to like force their way through it because in my experience, when, when you try to force it, that's counterproductive. Maybe you'll get yeah. a good shot, but maybe you won't enjoy the experience. And then you're like, oh, I'm spent all this time and I got my feet wet and rah, 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 you know, <laughs> yeah. all of that. Yeah. It's, you know, we're not shooting for clients on this type of trip. You know, we're not, I mean, we're making photographs that we might use for other things that are work related. Oh, absolutely. But when we're out making these photos, you know, along this canyon, there was not a expectation that we'd be making photos there. You know, it's just a, hey, look, cool. Pull over and stop. Yeah. So I call this a, you know, an opportunity, not an obligation. And so, you know, I think if I had honestly, and we'll talk about this some more in this episode, if I had just taken my phone. And just left all my gear in the car. Yeah. And just taking my phone and walked around, I probably would have shot a bunch of stuff. And I did. I, I shot some of the crows, you know, and I did a little bit of iPhone photography. I think I did a couple panoramas there and stuff I was playing around. Mm-hmm. But, you know, 
finding that creativity and finding that outlet to go and just let the scene inspire you is, is a skill, is a skill that you have to develop. It's a muscle you have to develop. And there are times where I feel like I can do that. And there are times where I can't. And I think in the case of this particular morning, we'd been shooting such epic scenes, you know, just bam, 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 you know, Mm -hmm. just amazing scenes all around. I sort of felt like it was time to coast a little bit for me and recover and, you know, just stop. And I'm finding more and more, I don't know how other people are, but I'm finding more and more as I get older that I need to have some idle time to let my brain sort of calm down and Mm -hmm. get ready for this day. Cause honestly, this was a big day for us. We had a lot more ahead of us. And so after, after we shot at this little Canyon, we went down Tioga pass and down to Levining had some brunch, I guess we'd call it. And then we went to Mono Lake, which is talk about a different environment going so from different. the high altitude Alpine meadows of Tuolumne Pass down to Mono Lake, which is an easy drive. It's not far. It's a stark difference. So you're going from 10,000 feet to, you know, like 3000 feet and you get down to Mono Lake and it's this big sprawling drying up a uh, body of water that's very alkaline, very salty and very desert feeling. <laughs> it's hard to, uh, it's hard to say that about a lake, but that's sort of mm-hmm. how it feels. And so we parked there and we walked out to this area of tufas, which are these calcified um, remnants of mineral springs that percolated up while the lake level was much higher. And so imagine, you know, the lake being 30 feet higher and all of these little springs or bubbling minerals up and they create these little towers, these kind of surreal alien looking towers that build up from the lake bottom. And then the lake drops because LA comes and steals the water, right? <laughs> and, um, and so the lake level goes down and these tufas are now something you can walk amongst. And it's a really amazing area. And we would go there normally at a sunrise or sunset for a workshop but in this case, we were there, you know, midday and it was still was amazing. Mm-hmm. I, I made some really fun photos there because I think I had no expectations. I was going as a scout, you know, I was just looking over the area for a workshop that we might do in the future. And so I didn't have any expectations and I started making photos and it was just like, well, that works and that works. So that's pretty cool. And we were there for quite a while having some fun. Yeah. And, you know, talk about being so completely different required, you know, my brain to shift into, okay, well, what will happen if I add a really strong ND filter and do a long exposure? So it it wasn't so much, let's see what's in front of me. It's okay, here's what's in front of me. What can I do with it? Because it was bright, it was the middle of the day. So we're not going to get any dramatic lighting. So then like some of those other tools start coming into play, uh, you know, maybe I want to do a panorama. I, I think mostly I either shot uh, things that were up close because I wanted, you know, s- some of the details of like, like the grasses and, and, and a whole bunch of really twisty weeds and things or doing long exposures to smooth out the water and trying to make that work. And, you know, that, that is a completely different photo brain that then has to think about, oh, okay, now what tools do I have at my disposal? Oh, I have ND filters. So what can I do with that? And so it, it was really challenging for me. But um, again, like I, I had a lot of fun and, 
you know, it was, I don't know, 80 degrees or something. So it was yeah. also completely different. <laughs> yeah, it was quite warm uh, for us, especially being used to being up, kind of yep. cold and frozen all morning. Bring sunscreen, friends. <laughs> yeah, bring some sunscreen. I was really glad I had a, a good yeah. hat. It was quite toasty down there. But the South Tufa area of Mono Lake is a photography hotspot. And I would say that if you can't get there early in the morning, because it's not really near anything, right? If you can't get there early in the morning, don't give up on it. Um, go there anytime. I think it'd be a good location no matter what time of day or night. It's it's mm -hmm. really cool. And there are tons and tons of compositions to be made with those Tufa structures. Some are in the water, some are out of the water. You know, it really is an alien environment. It's very, very fascinating. I would love to be there in the middle of the night. I think it'd be a really yeah. good astro photography scene there. Um, really cool spot. So from, from there, <laughs> we went north and one of my favorite spots in that part of California is a little historic park called Bodie. And it's an old gold mining town that was active from the mid 1800s to 1950s, yeah. as recently as 1950. And the state parks in California have done a masterful job of keeping the town in a state of arrested decay. So they are doing things like you're replacing roofs on some of the houses and fixing some of the stuff that's broken so that it's safe for mm -hmm. people to be around. But they're trying to leave it pretty much as it was left. And when people left Bodie, they just up and left. They left their furniture. They left things sitting on the counters. And so when you look through the windows of a lot of these buildings in this town, it's like the people just vanished and left everything. It's really cool. And it's very <laughs> dusty, and very wild west feeling. And it was pretty crowded there when we first got there, but we had set aside a whole afternoon there. It was really cool. Yeah. It was really cool. There's, you say it's pretty dusty. Looking in the windows, there there are literally layers of dust because you know they they fix the roof so nothing's leaking on the rare chance that it rains, and so there are lots of of uh, interesting textures to be found there, especially a lot of peeling wallpaper and old bed frames that have just sort of fallen apart with age and they're literally covered with lots and lots of dust. You can't get into the buildings except for like one or two. And, and then you have like all the textures of the wood of the buildings and the grasses and the barbed wire occasionally. And what I noticed you doing, especially you were just wandering around. I mean, it, <laughs> it almost looked like it almost looked like you didn't know what you were doing because you just wander and then you'd stop and just take a picture of a wall. But I knew like there must be a really good texture or something there. And so you have this this historical uh, peek into the past. And what I thought was sort of funny is that they've kept it so that it's not just representative of one time. And so you can look one direction. It will be like it's 1875 and this is what the, the general store looked like. And then you turn your body 90 degrees and there's the ruins of a 1930s car just sitting right there. And, you know, obviously those are two different things. And so you could actually have you know, photos that are representative of one era and photos that are representative of another era and just so many different possibilities. I think I walked around, I, I was looking through my, my photos and I think I like the first photo I took was probably an hour after we got there. I just wandered the site, which 
felt like such a luxury and something that I would encourage anybody to do if they can is just become familiar with the site. And part of that was because mm-hmm. the the place closes at six and sunset was like right around six or six fifteen or six thirty, something like that. And so I found it really beneficial to walk around and just figure out, okay, the sun's going to be over here. So which building's going to get the sun at the time? So that when 5.15, 5.30 happened, I wasn't running around like, oh, where's the composition? I had some ideas in my head uh, to the point where I was actually wandering around hoping that the light would come through some windows. And I was probably mm-hmm. one of the last people in the site and a park ranger was like, uh, buddy, you need to head to the parking lot now. <laughs> I was like, oh, but I was hoping for this. He's like, yeah, um, it's time. Goodbye. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was such a cool place. And I'm glad we set aside so much time. When we first got there, I actually went and laid in the shade for a while. I just need to rest my <laughs> eyes from driving and sort of settle down, get into photo mode. And one of the things that I did while I was laying in the shade of this old building that was leaning was I was listening to the people. There was lots of people there and all the different languages and different things that were people were saying. And so I had my eyes closed. I'm just listening to all the different people. And I'm thinking about, you know, how they're seeing this place. And I had been to Bodhi a long time ago and remembered it quite well. And so I kind of had some ideas for what I wanted to see while I was there. But like you, once I did get up from my little nap. Um, <laughs> all these people are like, who's the hobo just lying there behind the building? <laughs> yeah, it's this guy laying on his camera bag. Yeah. And so... I I walked around like you, knowing that we were going to be there until the light was going to get better. And the light wasn't bad. It was just, it was smoky. But I knew that as the light got lower, it would pick up some color and it would have some mood to it. And so I spent a lot of time scouting and kind of going around the fringe of the town. You know, there's sort of some central buildings like the church and the school and stuff that are very photogenic and, and certainly the focus of a lot of people's attention when they're there. But there's a lot of outlying houses and up on the hillside, the mill, which is close to the public unless you go on a special tour, but you can get close to it and you can photograph it from outside that sort of fenced in area. And I found just lots of really interesting textures. Like you said, I'd be looking at a wall. (laughs) I found that the wood being so weathered up there, it's really hard winters up there. And then, of course, the dry windy summers and all the sun, the wood up there has taken on a really amazing patina and all the metal. It looks like they had a, an abundance of, of tin, <laughs> an abundance yeah. of, of sheet metal to patch holes and things. And so you'd have a wall of a house that would be made up of this bare wood and then just chunks of rusty metal nailed on it. And it was just amazing place to make photos of textures and colors and then I found looking through the windows of all these places and trying to photograph through the glass, uh, really old glass, and get some interior shots worked really well because the light, it, it wasn't dependent on low light for that. You know, just, just getting interior shots just, just works any time of day. So I kind of roamed around and did that. And then, yeah, like you said, as soon as the light started getting kind of interesting and moody, it was go time. And we had already scouted all this stuff and we just we kind of swept around and made a lot of shots, but we also encountered, <laughs> you know, plus the crowds were thinning out at this point. It's like people yeah. were heading home, except for <laughs> this photo workshop that we encountered. And we encountered uh, two different photo workshops on this trip. And this was the first one. And I don't know who this person is, so I'm not being coy here, but uh, 
she had a model that she had hired to dress up in an old Western, very fancy gown, very fancy dress. And then she had had her go stand out in this field and she had a big, long telephoto lens and she was shooting portraits of this person while yelling down the street at all of her participants in her workshop to hurry up and get their butts over there so they could take photos of this girl. You and I sat on the steps of this house and just watched this. It was amazingly entertaining. Yeah. And it was, it was shocking. And we've discussed this a lot, you know, while driving and thinking about this, you know, cause we do lead workshops together and this was definitely a different approach than we ever take on our workshops. But I want to say a couple of things about this because in watching other photographers work in a place like Bodhi, it's such a target rich environment. You know, there's so many compositions and so much to shoot in, in this fairly large area that it can be overwhelming and you just kind of shut down. Mm-hmm. What this woman was doing is she was curating a shot. She had this model and put her in a specific location with the intention of shooting with a long lens and getting a certain composition. And she was directing her people how to set their cameras, where to stand, as long as they weren't standing in her way, (laughs) where to stand. (laughs) And she was curating these shots. And I thought it was really curious because these folks in listening to them talk, these participants that seemed like they were from all over. And they'd obviously traveled a long distance to be there. And it didn't seem to me like they got to go explore Bodhi. (laughs) No, I don't think they did at all. Yeah. And it was sort of heartbroken for them because it's a really amazing space. And I don't think they got a feel for it. Instead, they got this sort of Instagram-y moment, which was painful to watch. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's... I have no doubt that that some of the pictures they got were great because you have a model, you have a composition, and I can see the value of that. We've never, you know, hired a model or anything like that. Ours are very much an exploratory type of workshop. So that's great. The thing that I that I had troubles with that that struck me and I I say this with a bit of apprehension because I, I kind of don't want to criticize someone else's workshop. And yet I am absolutely going to criticize someone else's workshop because I don't think in addition to the, the attendees not really seeing much of Bodhi, they didn't seem to be having much fun. They were sort of all over the place and, and not in the go explore all over the place, but you know, some of them had their cameras ready. Some of them were, you know, back at this sort of rallying point where they had a bunch of their, their gear stored. And the, the, the woman leading this, like she was, she was making a lot of pictures for herself, which I'm sure would be great for advertising future things. And she'd be like, you know, Hey, grab your 200 and get over here. And, or yell at one woman, Andrea, and I'm just making up the name, Andrea, you know, you, you've stepped into my shot. Okay. Now, as we know, that's something that happens a lot, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think on one photo workshop, I always was stepping into this other guy's shot uh, without knowing it. And he'd, you know, you'd say, Hey, can you move over? And you do. And that that's, it's, it's just kind of courtesy, but it got to the point where this woman she was she was apologetic for even being there and and she she said mm-hmm. to the group she's like oh you know if if i step into anybody's shot just you know feel free to rudely tell me to move you know because i that's just what i do like what kind of experience is that she's not thinking about photography she's not thinking about anything except that oh now i'm in the way right mm-hmm. and i don't know how much money she paid for that but that is not worth 
whatever money she paid to, to come away with that, with that experience. And so, yeah, that's, that's part of it. <laughs> but the other part that drove us crazy was, I'm going to let you, you take over this part because <laughs> as soon as the light got good, they went inside and this workshop leader gave him a lecture and they, had, a they talk. had booked, they had booked to stay at the park past closing, which is something you can do. If you have a group, you can pay to uh, keep a ranger around and they'll, you know, let, leave the park open for you um, while they kick everybody else out. And that's great. Uh, that's awesome. I would definitely think about doing that if we took a group there. Mm -hmm. But the sun went down behind the mountain while we were there. Before 6 o'clock, that sun was down below. By the time 6 o'clock happened, the sun was gone. Yeah. You know, it wasn't dark, but it was the direct light was gone. And that window of opportunity for the really dramatic, warm, direct light it was coming from the smoke and shrouded sun. She had shepherded him into this building and was probably giving him a lecture about how great she was. And <laughs> I was just, I was just shocked. I was like, man, you were pissed. You obviously <laughs> don't get it. And so I don't want to dwell on that either. Cause that could be a, a topic for another time. But I do yeah. want to say that if you take a photo workshop and the, the leader is spending a lot of time sort of, like a silverback gorilla demonstrating their dominance over everybody. Mm. That's not a good photo workshop. That's not a good learning environment. So that's probably all I need to say about that. <laughs> so from Bodhi, uh, the next day, <laughs> it's probably, probably all. Yep, yep, that's that. it. And now moving on, moving on. So from Bodhi, we came down uh, the next day to the Bishop area, which is sort of the hub of, of where we wanted to be doing our workshop. And we made our way down to uh, Lone Pine, which is a lovely little town down in the South Owens Valley. And then we went up to Whitney Portal, which is Mount Whitney is the highest point in the lower 48 states at 14,000 some feet. And we were up at 9,000 feet, found a great campsite on site on this creek in, in near Whitney Portal. And it was stunning. It was a stunning location to, to camp and just to, just to be. From there, we... <laughs> We kind of hung out and went out and shot the sunset at this overlook looking down the valley towards Lone Pine. And it was smoky. It was sort of an interesting composition. But then something happened that happened for us twice on this trip. The smoke just kind of went away. Yeah. And the stars came out. And we ended up making some pretty amazing shots of Lone Pine Peak and Mount Whitney with these stars. We're just on the side of the road. It was just a gorgeous spot. I really enjoyed that. Yeah. And in fact, this wasn't a place where you'd even say, oh, like this is an amazing composition. We literally just thought we would drive down, see what the sun was doing. It looked interesting. We pulled off and just decided to see what we could do. And when you look back, especially once it started getting dark, like the stars came out, the the Milky Way was like right there. And you could also see... I don't know how well it's translated in my shots, but you could see hikers climbing Mount Whitney or climbing like a peak that's in front of it. I think mm -hmm. I think you go up and then make your way around. But basically, because what they do is they climb all night so they can be at the top by sunrise. And so you had these little specks of headlamp light moving up the rock face. And so you had these stars above, you had little lights down below, and it was a really great experience. Except for the fact that uh, I dropped my brand new iPhone 13 Pro 
on the ground and cracked the screen. It was a week old. But besides yeah. that, it was a great experience. <laughs> that didn't even ruin the night. No, I it, mean, didn't. That was, it didn't. We knew that it was covered. So you do have a new <laughs> one. So spoiler alert. Yeah. It's not ruined. Yeah. It was an amazing spot. It was the first kind of Milky Way shots we got at the trip. Mm -hmm. You know, the morning that we were up at Glacier Point, no Milky Way. It was just some stars and the moon. And here we had a new moon. It was, or the moon hadn't come up, maybe. It was just the stars and the Milky Way and these mountains and these hikers with their headlamps. It was really, really cool. Mm -hmm. So we slept uh, at the campsite there. And then we drove down to the Alabama Hills the next morning for sunrise. And I got to say the Alabama Hills, I had never been, and I had obviously seen photos from there, knew that it was a location for many, many, many amazing movies. Hundreds uh, of taken movies. Taken shot over the years, hundreds of movies over the years. But I had no idea just the buffet of compositions <laughs> that's there. It's, it's incredible. So, it's incredible. Uh, again, you'll see photos in the show notes. But to give you an idea, if you've seen – like old Star Trek episodes where they beam down to a, an alien planet. You've got these really rounded looking rocks that, that just don't look like they come from Earth. This is where they shot that. Or mm -hmm. there's a great scene in Galaxy Quest where, you know, they're, they're sort of riffing on the same thing, the same area. And so th there's that that unique look to it. But it's also a place where... Again, you have lots of different things because the Alabama Hills is like it's this low row of rocky uh, hills that's in front of the mountain range where Mount Whitney is. And so you have a lot of depth possibilities. And this is also where they filmed the opening to Iron Man, uh, mm -hmm. you know, doubling for Afghanistan. And just I think one of the things when we got there was just like, let's go let's find some some compositions because there were so many things to choose from and this was right before sunrise so the sky was opening up on one side and yeah one of the best places that we went to yeah it was great and the sunrise was nice but it wasn't like knock your eye out gorgeous sunrise it was smoky and it had some good color but you don't really even need that at the Alabama hills you could go shoot there on a cloudy day and make mm -hmm. great compositions because the rocks and you know if the mountains are visible if the sierra nevadas aren't obscured by smoke or clouds they they're like a wall <laughs> i mean they're just this dramatic wall of, of very sharp severe peaks and like you said the alabama hills are all rounded and soft and pillowy and this granite is got this amazing texture that catches the light just so, and it's just got lots and lots of character. And so you went up on top of a kind of a mound of granite and we're yeah. taking some shots of the sunrise. And I went down and sort of faced the other way and made some panoramas of the Sierra with these mm -hmm. um, boulders in the front. No matter which way you looked, it was a winner that morning. One of the things to mention is uh, another reason this area is famous is because it has these natural arches. And mm -hmm. one of the reasons that I went off to find higher ground and you went down to look lower is because there's a, a famous arch. Wh which one was that? Mosaic? It's Mobius Arch. Mobius Arch. Mm -hmm. And, you know, w when you look through it, you can see Mount Whitney in the background. It's this great composition. And when we got there, there was already a workshop group. And you see these pictures and it, it looks massive. It's actually much smaller in person. And to get that shot, basically, there were four or five people sitting 
all shoulder to shoulder balanced on this rock with their tripod set up so they could have this composition. And they were just waiting, waiting mm -hmm. for the sunrise to come and chatting and waiting and not taking any pictures. And so the, the obvious shot was already taken. I wasn't going to go down and try to find a spot there. So I went looking elsewhere and you went looking elsewhere. And then as soon as the sun came up and they had their shots, they packed up and they headed out. Yeah. And then we oh, were able to go and, you know, have full use of that, that area. And, you know, we, we got the, the arches shots that we wanted. It just wasn't like right at the perfect moment in the morning, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. It was a classic case of peak bagging yep. again. And I don't blame those folks. You know, I think they probably had a lot of great things to shoot that day. Mm -hmm. I hope they didn't just go hang out at the hotel for us today. Cause yeah. you know, we, Shot our sunrise shoots were in our different locations. And then as soon as I looked over and saw that group was gone from Mobius, I walked over there and it was still great light. It was wonderful light. It wasn't especially warm morning light, but it was still low. It was still nice low angle light. So you had nice texture on everything. It wasn't midday. And the mountains looked amazing in the background. The smoke had pushed back a little bit. Mm -hmm. And so you could see the Sierras really well. And so you can line up Lone Pine Peak and Mount Whitney in that little hole of the arch. It was, it was really great. And so I made some panoramas there. We, we messed around. We had all kinds of time because there's no one else there, but he left. And so like usual, Mason and Jeff are going to hang out and just <laughs> work the scene over and over and over until we get what we want. And I really had a great time there and I'm really liking my photos from the Alabama Hills. And I can't wait to go back there. And so from there, we moved back up towards Bishop uh, and found some good coffee and, <laughs> Super and things important. like that. But then our focus came to fall color, which is something that you love. And I know this about you. Um, <laughs> you adore fall color. And I know that the fall color this year in the Sierra is good, even though it's a drought year. I figured it would be some decent fall color, but it turned out to be really amazing. And we ended up going up Bishop Creek Canyon and we went up to South Lake first. And turns out there's no South Lake right now. The water's way down. So dry. Uh, there's a dam there and they've let the water out. And so it's just this dry, rocky canyon. But the trees and stuff in that area, we actually found some areas where there were some ponds uh, that weren't dried up and had some great opportunities to make some fall color shots up there. And that's where we ended up camping that night. So it was really great. It was really great. And you're right. There, there's something about fall color and autumn leaves that just tickles something inside me. I can't even describe it, but I was, I was probably just giddy for a big part of that time. Uh, it, my, my family doesn't understand it. My kid gives me a hard time. It's like, Oh, stop pointing out trees. I was like, but they're so pretty. And so being able to, again, like find some scenes and, and this was literally, we're just driving along the road, looking at, at what's on the hillside and what's next to the road. And, uh, and I have to say, and I think some of this was, was planning on your part. And some of this is just, uh, I guess good fortune, but, you know, aside from a few times when we drove, to get to a location like uh, Glacier Point, um, a lot of what we found was literally just by the side of the road. 
Um, you, you go to a pullout and it's some of my favorite shots from this time, uh, there was just this creek that's, you know, five feet off the road. But when you look up the creek, it's surrounded by all of these, uh, I want to say aspen trees. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Aspens. Yeah. Aspens. Um, I don't know trees. Uh, so aspens, <laughs> you know, at fall color trees, fall color trees um, with with, you know, the, the, the creek coming through and you create a long exposure and the water's all nice and silky. And it's it was just fabulous and did not seem like like we didn't have to go and hike in anywhere to get these kind of photos. I'm sure there are many places where you could hike in and get all sorts of other things, but you know, for what we were doing, it was perfect. Yeah. If you were looking for fall color, you didn't have to look far. It was really amazing. And I was so appreciative of the fact that the Creek was still running. (laughs) Yeah. So much of the area we went to on this trip was dried up and it was so nice to see some water moving to complement those trees. So we, we had a great time up Bishop Creek Canyon. We camped out that night. It was super cold the next morning. Super cold. Super, super (laughs) cold. We went out and we photographed some more fall color in the morning. We went up to uh, Sabrina Lake and worked in that canyon. It was just stunning up there. Uh, Found uh, an area where they built a little dam and created this little backwater. And the grasses and the aspen trees mixed with the pine trees. And for me, it just really worked. And I spent a lot of time having fun with long exposures, doing a lot of, you know, obviously tripod, you know, 30 second, 20 second long exposures to let that water smooth out so that the reflections of those trees and the water was just, oh, it was delicious. So we had a great time up there and then we packed up our camp and we headed back down. It was super smoky too, by the way, <laughs> this, this period of time. Yeah. We were both just kind of dried out and hoarse and our eyes were burning and, you know, the air quality was, was truly awful. And it was one of the reasons why folks had decided not to take our workshop this year. And I'm really glad we didn't hold the workshop because the smoke was, it, while it didn't seem to harm our fall color photos, mm-hmm. having a deep cobalt blue sky would have been really nice to go with those orange leaves. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I got a little bit tired of the smoke, but breathing it was was punishing. So we came down, came back down to Bishop and we went down south and, you know, the, the smoke that we'd been encountering on this trip had all been coming over the Sierras from this uh, Sequoia Kings Canyon fire, which has been burning now for over a month. So we didn't see the, the fire, right? Um, but as we came down to Big Pine, which is south of Bishop, there was a fire that had started and some fire trucks went by us. Some Forest Service fire trucks went by us on the highway. And so we kept driving down south and we got a bonus. Um, we got to watch some helicopters and some planes work a uh, a wildfire that had just started down south of uh, Big Pine. And it was really interesting for me because uh, I knew we'd see wildfire devastation on this trip mm-hmm. because it's everywhere in California. But what I didn't expect to see was an active fire being fought. I, you know, because the area down there doesn't have lots of trees on the eastern side of the Sierra Nevadas. It's not forest. It's mostly you know, bare country, but along the creeks and stuff, there's a lot of trees. And so what had happened was south of this reservoir where there was a fire along a creek bed and there were these trees and they were just going up like torches. And these helicopters were coming in and dropping buckets of water on the fire. And so we pulled over on the side of the highway and we photographed them for a good 
half hour, 45 minutes. It was, it was amazing to watch. Yeah. I have a whole bunch of photos that I'm probably going to end up deleting just because, uh, we were standing out there with, you know, our hundred to 400 millimeter lenses. Uh, I think we both had extenders on them mm-hmm. trying to get good shots of, of these helicopters going. And one of them was this, this giant yellow Chinook helicopter that had this, you know, massive, massive bucket underneath it on a really long, long tether. And some of it was just trying to, you know, come up with a, a good composition, et cetera. But a lot of it was just like fun to see these people at work, like how they, you know, hit a fire like this. And, by the time we left, the fire, I would say, is was like, you know, 70, 80 percent put out. Yeah. And so it was just as you're driving through there, you see a lot of signs that say, thank you, firefighters, because it's been so impacted. And uh, in fact, the, the New York Times ran a big story um, a few before we recorded this that was all about, um, you know, the firefighting in this area that we were in. I don't know. I got more of an appreciation because it was so close of what it takes to deal with this. And, and, and we just saw like a little tiny part of it. Yeah, this was a very small fire. This was not a campaign, right? This is not like the the big fires that we read about. In fact, I haven't found any information about this fire. Yeah. They put it out so quickly, but it showed the infrastructure that's in place to tackle these fires before they become big. And so to know that some of these fires do become big just shows just how bad the drought is, how bad the fire situation is down south and, you know, really amazing use of helicopters. I, I've been around aircraft a lot in my life and I never get tired of seeing helicopters work. And I will say, though, that about photographing, you know, we were a long ways off. Like you said, we're using extenders on long lenses and shooting you know, we were probably three quarters of a mile off from this fire. My, most of my shots are garbage. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I, I went through yesterday and deleted three quarters of them because the the heat from the just the ground, you know, the sun was shining down and the distortion caused by that, the heat waves coming mm-hmm. up, shooting through all of that. The shots of the helicopters and stuff were blurry. Some of my shots were challenged because I was trying to shoot uh, at a lower ISO to get better quality shots. And so my shutter speed wasn't fast enough. And so there's some motion blur. There were power lines in the way. There, there was just yeah. lots of things, lots of challenges with that. But it was one of those e- examples of a, a the shoot being really thrilling. And I don't want to keep saying fun because this was a fire. It was stuff was being burnt, but you know, you got, we're two guys and we're watching helicopters fly around. It's It's kind of, kind of triggers that little kid thing in us. It was exciting. Yeah, it was. It was very exciting. So we watched that and then we made our way to Big Pine. And I've got to say, this is my favorite part of the trip. And I've, I've thought about this a lot. I'm trying to figure out what was my favorite part of the trip. We went up to the Bristlecone Pine Forest for sunset. Oh, yeah. And it's just up. Uh, it's to the east of Bishop. And so you approach it from Big Pine, which is south of Bishop, and you go up this mountain pass. And the road itself is amazing. You go up this really windy road, and you start out at 6,000 feet in Big Pine, and you work your way up to, it's in the Inyo National Forest, but they call it the Bristlecone Pine Forest. Uh, I don't remember the full name. It's got a big, long name. Yeah. But these are the oldest trees in the world. (laughs) Just incredible scale of time. So we're talking about trees that are over 4,000 years old. 
They're scattered around at this mountaintop that's 10,000 feet up. And we were at the lower grove. There's another one that I'd love to go back to someday that's at 13,000 feet. But we were at the end of the paved road at the Shulman Grove, which is where the Methuselah tree and some of the other old, old trees are. And we got up there. It was cold. It was, you know, smoky. It wasn't looking super great for conditions. Plus, we were over 10,000 feet. So we were kind of sucking air. (laughs) And we got our warm clothes on. And there was another photo group there. And they were heading up this loop. So there's a loop that goes out from the parking lot there. If you ever go, there's a long loop and then there's a short loop. And the short loop is what we did. And we didn't even do the whole thing. And it, it takes a lot to, to walk uphill at 10,000 feet carrying a big camera backpack. So we made our way up the trail going the other direction from the photo group. And my hope was is that we'd get to this set of trees that I had scouted out on Google Earth that seemed to set out from the forest and be on a hillside so that you could isolate them visually. And I got up there and after many breaks <laughs> going up the trail... I got up there and we encountered the first people from this group that had come the other direction on the trail. Turned out to be a photo workshop uh, led by Gary Hart, who's a great photographer, does a lot of photo workshops in the Eastern Sierra and uh, Yosemite uh, all around California, actually. He's really amazing. So look him up, Gary Hart. And I got to say, normally I don't like encountering photo workshop groups in the field, but these folks were super fun and I really enjoyed hanging out with them and it made me kind of soft inside because I was like, this is what it's like being with our group. You know, they were really good people and everybody's being polite and talking and, and encouraging each other and sharing. And it wasn't competitive at all. And we were all photographing these two amazing uh, bristlecone pine trees. <laughs> but an interesting thing happened. The sunset sort of fizzled out because of the smoke and they decided that it wasn't worth sticking around for. So they just split. They, they were all talking about how they were looking forward to getting some pizza. And they headed down the hill. And then what happened? Everything cleared up. Yeah. It was I, amazing. And, you know, spoilers, Jeff and Mason hung out for quite a while longer <laughs> making photos. Uh, yeah. But yeah. The smoke cleared away. The sky above was just super clear. And... You talk about that blue hour. This was like the extra super reinforced blue hour. Some of my photos, mm-hmm. the background, it's just this deep, deep, dark blue color. And we not only you know took some shots, but as the light went down, uh, you pulled out some lights, some, some external lights, so we could do some light painting with this. And so remember earlier when you talked about me in the Tuolum, Tulami Fields. I'm never going to say that right. The Meadows. Okay. Uh, and, and how I was, you know, I came back invigorated. This was, this was you at the Bristlecone Pines. You were just on fire and, you know, finding different things. And we were, uh, we both had different angles that we were shooting from. And so we, you know, try a long exposure with this light and maybe we'll, counteract it with this this other red light over here and it was just this great uh, freezing hour or maybe two hours i don't even know how long we were there uh, of just experimentation because a we had it to ourselves b the texture on these these trees is just amazing they they twist and they warp and they're weathered and it's they're they're really unique you're like oh yeah it's trees well no it, it it's not just trees and then the you know the stars came out and the Milky Way popped up and you had 
silhouettes and it was i mean it was a lot of fun and and you were a lot of fun to watch you were giddy you were just <laughs> giddy yeah despite the fact that when i got up there i was just gassed from climbing in that that altitude i'm not good with altitude and i got up there and i drank some water and i was chatting with these folks and i wasn't feeling any pressure to make photos up there i was really inspired by these trees, this particular set of two trees, you know, enjoyed chatting with these folks. But the second they left, it was just like, wow, now we got this opportunity. You know, it's, it's on. And you're right. I fell into this zone of like, what do we do now? What do we, we try this and this and this. And when you bring out light sources in the dark and you're doing uh, landscape photography where you're light painting, I've done this a few times. I really, really enjoy it. You, the sky's the limit. You can do all kinds of stuff. And what we ended up doing was we ended up setting ourselves up. We were together on one side of the tree for a long time mm -hmm. and we were playing with the set torches. And then I was hand painting with another, with another flashlight, but we actually ended up on opposite sides of this tree. And the light that we were using was helping each other from different directions. It was kind of interesting. I really enjoyed some of my shots that came from the mistakes, you know, we set up a light and <laughs> we kind of pointed in the wrong direction and I'd hand paint and it would turn out maybe overexposed or underexposed or poorly aimed or whatever. Yeah. And I, I, looking back at my photos, I'm like, God, that's really cool. You know, that, that wasn't what I was intending at all, but I really like it. And that sort of experimentation for me is where it, the joy is. It was almost like taking portraits of people. You know, this tree was not mm. posing for us, but it, it should have been. I mean, it could have been. It kind of was, was. Yeah. It had its little arms up and it was looking cool. I got to say, I, I had a blast. I could have stayed up there all night. Probably the cool thing is we found after a while, we started with lots of light. And as the sky got darker and darker and darker and darker, you know, there's no moon, just the stars. We kept turning the lights down and I have this little light panel that I just adore a little aperture light panel and I had it down to 1% power. It's <laughs> as low as it could go, right? And it was lighting it up perfectly. And that was the only external light source I was using. And, you know, we were jacking our ISOs up. We were playing around with, you know, prime lenses, getting these shots. I'm just stunned at how <laughs> my stuff came out. I'm just love it. I love it. Some of my favorite photos, photos ever. Yeah. Well, and, and also I, I want to point out the, the value of just taking a whole bunch of shots and experimenting because I think we could have easily made, you know, a dozen, 20, two dozen shots and be like, yep, we got it. But then you wouldn't have had that experience of coming back and realizing, oh, actually this shot is really good. And maybe, you know, in processing, if I just, you know, darkened this lower area that got a little bit too much light, then it pops even more. And so the, the, there's just so much to work with. Uh, you know, don't be afraid to overshoot something. I think that's yeah. you can always delete the stuff later. Yeah. Yeah. You can always delete the stuff later if you don't like it. It's <laughs> you can't oh, go totally. back and get the shots you didn't totally. Make. So I, I really had a ball there. I, we came down from that mountain and I was, I think I jabbered all the way back to Big Pine. I was just like, bah, 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 bah. so much fun. <laughs> Got up the next morning and we went up north to Mammoth. 
and we went up the Rock Creek Canyon. So this was our second shot at getting some fall color. We went up the Rock Creek Canyon and it was amazing up there. I found that it was, I liked it better. And I don't know if the smoke was any better, if their conditions were any better than the, the day we tried Bishop Creek Canyon. But mm. up Rock Creek, I really enjoyed. I thought the trees were better. I thought the, the color looked good. Um, and that's where we tried to fil- to record our, <laughs> our podcast <laughs> And so that was... It was brilliant. Yeah, it was a brilliant <laughs> episode. Um, but we found some really beautiful stuff. We even flew some drones up there. I got some mm-hmm. aerial photos. Uh, it was really It was really a fun day. When we came back down, the sky had started to change. And so instead of just being this layer of haze and smoke, we were getting some clouds, some broken clouds, and we're starting to get this sort of storm sky that was happening. And we went to a place called Convict Lake, which is just south of Mammoth Lakes. And we popped in there just to check it out because we knew we were going to come back at some point. And it's just a couple miles off the highway. We popped up there. It was just amazing. You know, it was... uh for a lake, it wasn't drained. <laughs> you know, it was up, yeah, it was up pretty was high. The water level looked normal. Um, there was fall color around the lake, but then the mountains above it were these contorted, folded rock layers. And, um, you know, the Sierra Nevada are just gorgeous. The granite mountains are gorgeous. But this particular mountain really was different in that it showed these different stratifications of rocks. And I'm a geology guy, so I just love that. I thought that whole scene was spectacular, but it was under this weird light. It was sort of hazy and and partly cloudy. And and so we decided we would be coming back the next morning to shoot it at sunrise. Um, So we took a few shots, kind of scouted out. Then we headed down to Mammoth and checked out another place that would be a wonderful photo location in other conditions. It's the Minaret Vista, which is up above Mammoth Mountain towards the Devil's Postpile National Monument. And we got up there and the, it was just so hazy. We could just barely make out these mountains that they call the minarets. And the viewpoint up there, I really want to go back because I think it's probably epic, like at sunset. So if we do a workshop up there, it's definitely going to be a sunset location, I think. So we scouted out and then we went down. And this was really the only time I can think of on this trip where we got skunked. We went up the June Lake mm. Loop Highway. Through this little village of June Lake and around this couple other lakes and out past this reservoir. And we were looking for fall color. We were looking for a sunset. We didn't really get either. There were some amazing clouds and there was a lot of promise for it. And then it just, the light just disappeared. Yeah. Just went. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) It was crazy. It was crazy. It was one of those nights where it's like, I think this is going to be really great. I think this is going to be great. We just have to find the right composition. And we kept driving, kept driving, kept driving. I just. So we worked our way back towards Mammoth and got some food, went to bed. And the next morning we went back to Convict Lake and it was off. It was off the hook. It was really cool. Um, we had a That's little great. bit of pink clouds. It was beautiful. It was one of those places where you pull up, you walk 25 feet from the car and you set up and you make great photos. It was just stunning. Yeah. yeah. The lake was like glass. It was amazing. Even you can, you, you can make that work with a long exposure and an ND filter and all that did not even need that at first. It was just so nice and smooth. Yeah. And it's, it's an interesting spot because it's a, it's a lake that is, um, I believe it's a glacial lake, but they've partially dammed it. So I don't think it's fully a reservoir, but we mm. were standing on a little bridge that had a culvert through it that drained down to this creek. And so 
it felt like a little bit manipulated. <laughs> but one of the things they'd done is they had a marina off to the right. So as you're standing looking at the lake and the mountains, there's a marina off to the right. And it, it was like a photographer designed this place, uh, <laughs> which you, you can't say about too many places. Yeah. Instead of using um, like buoys or something to mark off the marina, they used rocks and it sort of shielded the view from where we were standing. So you couldn't see the boats and there were some, some fall color trees that were in the way too. But in front of this culvert where normally, you know, engineers would put something to keep people from getting near the culvert in their boats, they put these boulders and there was an old snag that had hung up on these boulders and they created a wonderful foreground element for this lake shot. Otherwise you just have water in the mountains and, and that would have been enough, but having these boulders there really broke it up and, and created some nice elements. But the mountains themselves were stunning under that Eastern, Eastern sunrise light hitting the mountains. But then we had these little wispy pink clouds for a while. They went away pretty quick, but yeah, it was just a wonderful sunrise. It was really nice. Well, it was also a sunrise that came in waves because we had these little wispy clouds and a little bit of color. And then there was some some cloud behind us that just obscured everything and put everything into shadow. And chased and, off all the other photographers. And chased off all the other photographers, yeah. And so, you know, we're just kind of waiting and waiting and waiting because you could tell – when the sun hits this mountain face, it's going to be amazing. And so we waited probably another 20, 30 minutes and it just, it lit up. I mean, it erupted and, uh, you know, made some of my favorite shots, even though they were, you know, you're going to stand here and this is the shot you're going to get. And this is the shot that everybody else got. Uh, still, I mean, it's so pretty. Yeah. <laughs> it's so pretty. And that was a great a great morning. It was. It was really pretty. And there was some good fall color there to be had as well. So any time bit, of year, yeah. it would be beautiful up there. But the, the fall color was a bonus. So from Convict Lake, we uh, it was time to start heading towards home. And so yeah. we packed up there and we made our way north and drove up through Reno and <laughs> all of that fun. But we ended up coming through part of the burn from the Dixie Fire, which is the biggest fire in California history. It happened earlier this summer and is still burning, I think, in a couple spots. We drove through a lot of burnt forest and we actually stopped at one point and I made some photos through the trees of these charred pine trees. And I was working on these photos yesterday and really there's something about burnt trees that I find really kind of I don't know. It's, 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 I wouldn't say inspiring is the right word. If I'm, I'm having trouble finding the right word, captivating yeah. might be the right word. Yeah. And these trees still had needles on them, but they were all dried up because these trees have been killed by the fire. And so it was a really surreal sort of look to kind of take a long lens shot through these forests. And I'll put one of these photos in the show notes. I really uh, like how it turned out. It's kind of moody and it's, it's dramatic. It's not a fun photo, but it's, it does tell a story. And I think that the, Fire is part of California now. And, yeah. you know, driving through these big burns was a really graphic reminder of just how much these fires have burnt in the, in the state. Well, and the, the, this, this area provides a really nice counterpoint because you, you often see fields of, of aspen trees and you'll be looking through and, you, you know, aspens as far as you can see and they're white and whether or not there's fall color or not, 
you've seen that look. And in fact, there used to be a place in Oregon called the Boardman Tree Farm where we stopped once on a previous uh, expedition. And this is like the opposite of that because it's the same idea. You're still looking back through trees, but everything is charcoal. Everything is dark. And the the warmth that comes comes from the, the brown singed needles and mm-hmm. – uh, I don't know. I I also really liked it. I took a bunch of shots, mostly because I think you, uh, you know, got your lens out, and I looked over and I was like, oh, well, what's over there? Which I, I have to say, this is also the benefit of being with a group or being with with you know someone else is that ability to look over and see what you're shooting, because you know obviously we all want to make our own compositions, etc. But you know you have a really good eye for composition. And so I'll just like sidle over and be like, Oh, look at that. All right. Well, maybe, maybe I could take this shot and post it before he does <laughs> something like that. <laughs> steal the thunder, steal the thunder. Steal the thunder. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was a, it was a really unexpected uh, stop. And I, I really like the photos that I got from there, but where we headed that evening was really cool. And that's Bernie falls state park. And it's just to the East of Mount Shasta, and so it's actually halfway between uh, Bishop and Portland, almost exactly halfway on the drive. And so it made a great spot to spend the night. And we pulled in and we found a campsite in this state park, which is largely empty. I mean, <laughs> everywhere there were signs like, you know, no park here. This is not for day parking. So you could tell that it's a place that gets super, super busy in the summer. But being the off season, we had it to ourselves. We found a great campsite way far from everybody else. We set up and then we walked down to these waterfalls and I, I was expecting a big waterfall, but I wasn't, I mean, coming from Oregon, I'm sort of like, yeah, it's a waterfall, but <laughs> it was pretty amazing. So Bernie falls is like 130 feet high. I think it's the highest waterfall in California outside of Yosemite. And what's cool about it though, isn't it's height. It's the fact that it's, it spans this whole cliff face and all these springs and all of these streams of water kind of come pouring out of the rocks and it's spring fed. Uh, and so it runs pretty much the same level all year round. And so, you know, like a lot of the waterfalls we saw in Yosemite, this was not even close to being dried up. It was running pretty mm-hmm. good. And we also had the benefit of some fall color. So we hiked down into this, a canyon and we could photograph this beautiful waterfall. It's very easy to photograph. Uh, and just like a lot of our other evenings, we got really lucky with the light and it got uh, nice and colorful. We had a really nice sunset. I wasn't expecting much and ended up making some really pretty photos from this spot. No, in fact, I think we were mostly just scouting to see what the sunrise would look like. And uh, the the sunrise ended up not being really that great, and but the sunset was kind of stupendous, and and I was also struck by just like how big and wide this waterfall is. It wasn't like here's some water coming over a rock. There was just rivulets and and different streams, and so if you like that that nice soft waterfall look, uh, you'll go crazy here. Yeah, and it was great. Cool mosses and ferns. It was a very green spot. Because it does flow year round, it doesn't freeze over. It it's just like a lush little oasis in the in the forest. There, it was really really pretty spot. So, if you ever get a chance to go to Bernie State Park and it's not overcrowded, it's definitely a spot you're going to want to walk down and and make some photos there. It does sit down in a canyon, and normally when you shoot waterfalls, 
you don't want to shoot them. You don't want sunlight shining on those falls. It'll blow out the water and ruin your photo. But what's nice about this one is it's really down in that canyon. It's sort of protected from the sunlight. I think midday sun would be bad there. But if you got there in the morning or in the afternoon, even on a sunny day, you're going to be able to get some nice shots there because it's not getting direct sunlight on it. It's going to be a great spot. Yeah. Really cool. So from there, we headed home. We came back up um, Interstate 5, back up to Portland, and then you headed off (laughs) and chased down some more fall color the next day, you animal. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I, I I wanted to do one more day. And so uh, I left your place and just drove solo uh, up through the middle of Washington up to Leavenworth, which is this this very cute little um, Swiss slash Austrian Bavarian. Bavarian excuse Bavarian. me. I'm sorry. That's OK. Bavarian town, um, which was actually cram packed with people celebrating Oktoberfest. But <laughs> There's basically this 10-mile stretch along the Wenatchee River in this canyon uh, on the west side of town that has a whole bunch of opportunities for fall color. And I have to say, I I went there last year, and I was probably a week later than I would have preferred, but that was just when I could go. And I got some good color, uh, but this time, I think... I was maybe just a little bit early, but I still had plenty of color. And, you know, I have some shots that are, you know, reds and purples and yellows. And yeah, it just, again, me and fall color, it, it just ticked every single box within me of, of just that, that satisfaction. And so that was a really good way to wrap up my trip. Um, you had already wrapped up and then I drove home and it was rainy and kind of gross. And I got home fairly late. And the next day I did absolutely nothing. <laughs> I sat on the couch, caught up on TV with my family. And uh, I, I think I fell asleep at 830. It was, <laughs> it was sort of amazing. A pretty, pretty big trip we did. So here are the numbers. We did 10 days. I don't know how many locations. I haven't counted that. But we drove for 60 hours. There were 60 hours of driving. So 2,600 miles of over 60 hours. We covered a big chunk of California and some of Oregon. And, you know, I I feel like we just scratched the surface. Like with a lot of these types <laughs> of trips. Yeah, yeah. You know, the opportunities are going to out. Uh, outstrip your your resources. You know, we just didn't have enough time, didn't have enough energy, didn't have enough caffeine to keep, you know, <laughs> to, to to keep going. I felt like it was the trip that you know when I got home, I was definitely tired and I was definitely mm-hmm. uh, kind of tired of taking photos, even. But in looking back over my photos over the last few days. I'm like, man, I want to go back and I want to do that. And I want to do that. And I want to do that. So we left a lot on the table. We left a lot on the table for next time. So we are planning on doing a workshop there eventually. I don't know when. We're going to have to wait and see what happens with COVID. Going to have to wait and see what happens with uh, the environment, with wildfires and the drought. Definitely not inclined to try to do another fall workshop there because of the smoke and because of the fires. Yeah. But I also don't know, you know, if spring is a great time because... It's, a lot of stuff is snowed in. Like, I don't know if we get to the bristlecone pines even. So I need to do some research. But for the meantime, I've got like 5,000 photos to, to dig, dig around in. <laughs> wow. I ended up with half that many, 2,500. Now, we'll say but this. But you were also doing, 
you were also doing like lots of panos mm. and pixel shift images and things that, that I wasn't doing. So, yeah. Yeah, I did a time lapse up on Glacier Point. I think that accounts for a few hundred shots. Oh, yeah. So, oh, yeah. You know, it's the things do add up. I will say this I did find myself, you know, our two photographic styles. I really liked watching you work because I'm, I love panoramas. I love shooting panoramas. And I have a little panorama gimbal that I use on my tripod. You know, we could probably do a work, uh, not a workshop, but a episode about panos episode. someday. Oh, definitely. I shot a lot of panos. And when you do a panorama, some of these panoramas, Jeff, I counted up one that I tried to stitch together on my computer and I finally just gave up on it. It was 25 shots. Oh my gosh. Across. So it's like, as at the Alabama Hills, it's like 180 degrees of panorama. Uh -huh. I ended up shooting a lot of panoramas. And one of the challenges with shooting a panorama is, you know, you got to do it fairly quickly so that, because the clouds and stuff are moving, things are moving in the shots, lights changing. So you're like, bang, 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 bang. And then you sweep back and you do it again. Bang, bang, bang. So I look through my library and it's like, <laughs> panorama, panorama, panorama. <laughs> if I took out the panoramas, I would be way down there. I'd be like 2000 photos probably from yeah. this shot, from this trip. Uh, so I went kind of panorama crazy. It's going to take me a while to, to chew on those and get those developed and, and worked on. Yeah. But man, what a trip. Uh, it was a real joy. A I got to say as much as I love my photos from this trip, Mostly what I take away from it is that I got to hang out with one of my best friends and spend a lot of time chatting and drinking coffee and watching movies on the iPad in the dark, you know, yeah. <laughs> at the campsite. Yeah. Uh, well, and it was fun. One, uh, one of the things that surprised me, I figured, OK, we're going to be in the car a lot. So I've got some books. I've got some movies on my iPad and all that. Um, we did not even really touch a lot of those things. So um, it, it was just a lot of time spent driving and looking and um, it, it worked out really nice. I want to wrap up with just two small things that I think we can definitely get into in future episodes. But there are a couple of revelations. One is just how good the cameras in the iPhone 13 Pros are. Uh, this is something that, that we kept coming to, whether it was uh, using the macro mode or just in general, you know, we'd be set up like at the Bristlecone Pines. We, we were set up with tripods and cameras and ND filters and uh, actually no filters after a while because it just got too dark. But you do long exposures and you're, you're experimenting. And so I I would trigger a long exposure for 30 seconds and then I just whip out my my phone and take a quick picture and the shot that it created in low, low light was almost as good as what my larger camera created. Mm. You know, there are different ways you can start to pixel peep and see differences. But just, you know, there were so many times when we could take a shot and be like, wow, look at this. And uh, that that was a revelation because I came into this thinking that the the new cameras on the phones were you know, a nice little upgrade. And I think that they're much more than that. So we can talk about that. And the other point was something that I did not expect. You were importing all of your photos onto your iPad Pro. Mm -hmm. I was importing them into my computer because I wanted to run them through the, the new version of Lightroom, which I have a, a beta version of that's going to come out soon. And I found it very frustrating for a couple of reasons on my computer, because uh, the screen uh, does not get as bright. 
and uh, which, you know, you, you don't want a super bright screen, but when it's daylight, it, it was just hard to see. I, I, I couldn't edit any photos on a black background uh, with, you know, natural daylight all around me and also just battery. My, my MacBook Pro, it's a 2019 MacBook Pro. It's, 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 it's recent, but you know, when you've got Lightroom running and it's hitting the GPU, uh, my battery would just go bloop. And that's fine if you're sitting in your office, but when you're out at a picnic table and you realize you only have maybe an hour and a half because your fan's spinning up and the, and like, I just found that incredibly frustrating. Again, there's probably something we can talk about in a future episode, but from the, from the tech side of things, uh, that was a re- th- those were revelations to me. Yeah, I think I think um, an episode's got to be coming here about the iPhone 13 Pro because yeah. it is. I agree, it's revolutionary. Uh, you know, when people throw the term game changer and stuff around way too much, but way I was too much. so surprised at how much I use that phone. <laughs> the five thousand pictures that I took on this trip, some of those, a lot of those are iPhone photos. <laughs> Good oh, yeah. six hundred probably. My, my count didn't even include the iPhone photos. I haven't added those yet. Oh, so. Yeah. so your number's gonna go up. Because <laughs> oh, yeah. we shot like crazy <laughs> on those phones. They're so much fun and they're so great. So definitely stay tuned for an episode on that. Check out the show notes for photos. Uh check out our social media channels and look for Jeff and I's links to our socials because we've been posting a lot of shots on Instagram <laughs> and the usual sub suspects. <laughs> Also, uh, one theme that emerged from here, uh, you just kept shooting pictures of me. And so I, I have to say, uh, I now have some epic shots of me as a photographer, thanks to you. So definitely take a look at, at, at our socials. One of the, one of my favorites, you were like, uh, I hope someone looks at you the way Jeff Carlson looks at fall leaves or something like that. <laughs> that made yes. Me laugh. Yes. I would like people to gaze upon me. Like you gaze upon those trees <laughs> for sure. For sure. My wife loves me, but she doesn't love me as much as you love fall. Color, I think <laughs> I, I, I think she loves me that much, but who knows? Um, <laughs> I think she does. I think she does. The jury's out on that. So yeah. thanks so much for bearing with us. This has been a long episode, but it's a long trip. And I think that, you know, these travelogue kind of episodes are fun because maybe you get to go there and, and try these spots. We just scouted out a bunch of areas for you and gave you some tips. The other thing I would like for you to do is please go and rate this podcast on your favorite podcast app. So if you're listening on Apple's podcast app, uh, please go and rate and leave a comment. If you're using Stitcher or Overcast or one of the others, please do that there. It really does help. We're trying to grow this podcast and um, Jeff and I really enjoy spending time together and talking, but we'd love for people to enjoy it as much as we do. So please share your feelings about it. Uh, We have a comment field on our website, which is at photocombobulate.com. Each episode has its own page. And down below the show notes, you'll find a place where you can make a comment and talk directly to us about the episode. If you have feedback or questions or ideas for future episodes, we'd love to hear from you. Sounds good. All right. Until the next adventure. (laughs) I got to get some sleep. (laughs) I need some more coffee. (laughs) 